Good morning, Anchorage, Alaska, the lower 48 and the rest of the world. This is Bruce Lindquist with his podcast, Wonderful Counselor. Hey guys, just want to thank you for all the downloads and for international and, and in America. I really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. And I really pray it's a blessing to you. Um, and I've really been excited about getting this podcast out to you. This is episode seven. It's called The Final Solution. If you're new to my podcast, I am a counselor. I've been a counselor for the last 36 years. And I get to go on these amazing journeys with people. And I would love to go on an amazing journey with you. I, I, I really wish that I wasn't just on a podcast, but I was actually meeting you, getting to know you, hearing your story, and really introducing you to the wonderful counselor who this podcast is named after, and that's Jesus Christ. So the final solution. So when I heard those words, what came to mind was the final problem, a Sherlock Holmes novel with towering wit and mystery. With those familiar echoes of the words elementary, my dear Watson, as the door to 221B Baker Street swung wide open again. If only the final solution was fiction. And at the end, we could go to sleep, knowing we were tucked away safely in our imagination, thanks to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yet the words final solution, they don't tell of a legend or a Star Wars, ta Star Wars tale in a far-off galaxy. We simply can't eat our popcorn taking an evening of entertainment, and at the end, as those credits roll, finally exhale and say it was only a movie. No, what happened is real. Didn't happen in a back lot of some Hollywood movie set, or the Dark Ages for that matter, but in so-called civilized, educated society. I'd like you now to picture your city Use that imagination that God has given you. And in four years, everyone is dead. It doesn't matter how small or large your city is. For example, Los Angeles, latest census, almost four million, all would be dead. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, or child, or else you may identify, the results are the same. Dead. New York City, eight million, dead. No, this is not a podcast about COVID, where the newest Shakespearean line is to vax or not to vax. All right, I try to interject some humor because the horror of what happened is beyond words, beyond anything Stephen King could ever write. The final solution started in implementation phase in 1941 and concluded in 1945. That wasn't that long ago, guys. It only ended because Germany lost another world war. I can't even imagine how many more millions would have died if the slaughter wasn't stopped. The America that is battered now by some of its own citizens has forgotten how close Germany came to world domination. And instead of wine, they need to get down on their knees and thank God for that greatest generation and aspire to be like them instead of living a life of being offended, and that will be their greatest accomplishment on their tombstone. Okay, a little bit of a rant. Um, the final solution was the plan of the Nazis to exterminate six million Jews. The solution wasn't to take death to the Jews. They tried that. 
but to bring them to death in the gas chambers. See, the solution was to round up all the Jews, load them in train cars where they would experience genocide. These murderers viewed this type of killing as clean, efficient, and effective. And while they didn't completely succeed in the extinction of entire race of Jewish people, still, six million died. I find myself, when I remember the Holocaust, standing on sacred ground for those who were killed. Please pause in your reading and join me for a moment of silence for them. Thank you. There are not enough moments of silence to honor them. Now I want to be very, very careful. Anytime anyone compares the Holocaust to events in the present, there's this danger of minimizing and dishonoring those men and women and children that were slaughtered or or those who survived. That's not my intent. I deeply honor them. There's a saying accredited accredited to philosopher George Centennial that Winston Churchill changed a bit, but you'll get the idea. Those who do not learn from history are bound to repeat it. So the question is, could the same ideology of genocide that has been experienced throughout much of, most of the world at different time frames happen again in the 21st century on a scale that would surpass the Holocaust? Now, while anti-Semitism certainly is present in this world and shows no sign of letting up, I won't be exploring it at this time at any great length. What this podcast will focus on is how the same seeds of genocide are being planted in the hearts and minds now, today, as we as a country need to either learn from our history or repeat it to our eventual destruction. I want to say to the German people, the purpose of this podcast isn't to bring up your past. It's not to hold German people accountable for what happened. Many listening today weren't even born yet, so how could you be condemned or held accountable for what your ancestors did? Besides, it wasn't just Germany. Many countries in Europe were sending Jewish people to Germany to eliminate the quote-unquote problem. Many countries hunted down Jewish people in just Romania. 50,000 Jewish people were shot and killed prior to the concentration camps. Anti-Semitism is not new. It's been around for a very, very long time. I also, though, want to commend Germany on your courage to face your past and make changes. Some concentration camp buildings are still standing. Obviously, they're not in operation. But they stand as a reminder what happens when a country finds a scapegoat to blame all its ills and seeks to have a superior race. The United States would do well to learn from your example. Instead of trying to rewrite our history or condemn others that weren't even born for past atrocities, And then those same people do nothing to make American healthier country other than complain about her. Countries are not perfect because they're full of imperfect people. However, to say Germany and America is the same as those darkest times in our histories, that's painting with way too broad of a brush. I love my country, and I'm sure those around the world love theirs as well. Now, there are many steps you need to prepare a country to go down the road of genocide. First, you need an ideology that dehumanizes people and takes away their sacredness. They're not humans anymore. 
They are the quote-unquote, in Nazi Germany, the problem. They were the Jews. Two, you need an ideology that supports the supremacy of one individual or group over another. This was the Aryan race. And that group needs to be in a position of power. You use then, then you use that ideology to murder the language. And I really want to use those words strongly because you murder the language. You change definitions to support a new normal. And for out of that definition of that new normal, you act new laws to support the ideology. Then five, you enforce those laws slowly by taking away the rights of dehumanized individuals or groups. Or group. Six, you move into the containment phase. And seven, you use the final solution, which is genocide. Since the 1820s, there have been 35 genocides that I could get research on. 25 of them happened in the 19th century. The largest, of course, is the Holocaust. Now, in the process of convincing a nation to normalize genocide, that's not an easy task. It can't be presented as such initially. Just like in Nazi Germany, genocide did not happen overnight. If concentration camps are introduced too early, without all the other steps in place, genocide doesn't happen. Genocide takes place, there needs to be a justification to a new normal. There also needs to be some fertile ground in place to put those seeds of genocide in. Germany at the time was experiencing humiliation of losing the World War. The victors wanted to ensure Germany would not raise to power so crippling economic weight was placed on the country. When your country's in survival mode, you're not just looking for answers. You're looking for a way for not ever to be in that position again. With the fatherland losing the war, this left the nation searching for answers. How did it happen? The answer would come to the mind of a lance corporal named Hitler. He had a belief in ideology that those in charge were at fault for the humiliation of losing the war. And also a race of people were to blame for Germany losing the war, and those were the Jews. The truth, however, was far more complicated. There were multiple reasons for the Germans to lose the war, and the Jews were not one of them. In fact, many Jews served and protected Germany. They promoted the war effort, even gave their lives for their country. But that didn't fit the narrative. This is critical. If you're going to be successful in wiping out individuals, groups of people, any narrative contrary must not be allowed, and those who dare challenge or even question it need to be silenced. Does that sound familiar, America? The Jewish people were scapegoats for Hitler, but even Hitler didn't have all the support of the Germans. That would take time, as before he could come to power, he'd have to get rid of the current government. There's no time in this podcast to explain all the events that led up to the long night of the knives. But to say Hitler had his opposition murdered by or anyone who might be in opposition to him is an understatement. As mentioned before, in order to produce a culture of genocide, there's a slow taking away of rights. This started in 1933 through 1939. Many laws were passed. And even going further back, the Nazis made it known in the late 20s, that they were going to segregate Jews. People who are persecuted like the Jewish people could be defined by ancestral heritage or by religion. But the Nazis chose to go with the ancestral heritage because not all Jewish people were religious. 
So that's how they defined them. And then they had this law in the 1935, which is a race law, that specifically identified all Jews under the same category. In 1933, Jewish students found it difficult to navigate professions such as seeking college. Those already in professionals found increasing barriers to practicing health or law. Jewish people were eventually forced to sell their businesses for low prices, and by 1939, most businesses were not even Jewish anymore. Back in 1938, Jewish people had to carry identity cards with a J stamped on them. Also in 1938, Jews were no longer allowed in designated Aryan zones, which compromised of most of public life, like theaters and sport matches. Laws were passed banning Jewish people to buy or possess firearms. Jewish children were expelled from public school, and there were laws against interracial ma marriage. Does this sound familiar, America? You see, genocide starts with this ideology that makes one race or people group superior. And they will become leaders in the government. When your rights are taken away, you're edging closer to genocide, guys. Someone must be to blame. You see, to have an ideology that removes the sacred from the least part of humanity, and the next step is to promote supremacy. Now, I don't have the numbers for the 20th centuries, yet there's a genocide that's not recorded as such yet. But the numbers far exceed the Holocaust. The Holocaust had 6 million Jews. That was horrible. That was terrible. However, the numbers of people killed were closer to 10 to 12 million. It wasn't all Jews. But unlike Nazi Germany, where the gas chambers closed in 1945, these gas chambers started federal-sanctioned murder in 1973, or an operation today in every state, in every city in the United States, and many places in the world. The number of lives killed in the United States alone by this genocide since 1973 is 62 million people. And that's a conservative figure. Let's pause for a moment in this podcast and think about that. 62 million people. Let's take a moment of silence for them. Because we're standing on sacred ground for them too. So how did the United States normalize genocide? Well, let's go through the model again for the steps leading to genocide and how the final solution in the United States continues to be implemented and how death is being exported to other countries from my beloved America. And it's most likely happening in your country too. First, you need the ideology that dehumanizes people and takes away their sacredness. They're not humans anymore. They're not life. They are the problem. And in Nazi Germany, these were the Jews. And in America and around the world, these are babies in their mother's womb. Two, you need an ideology that supports the supremacy of one individual group over another. In Germany, this was the Aryan race. Now it is mothers, doctors, and so-called experts. That group needs to be put in a position of power. No one has less power than a helpless baby in its mother's womb. And in the process of empowering women, they have become killing machines. And those in political power feed the machine. You use this ideology to murder language and change definitions and you support the new normal. 
mom's new empowerment now with their definition of non-life in hand and an ideology that put moms against their babies. And out of the definition, you change and put in new laws that support the ideology. And the government is more willing to make these laws and support these death camps. You enforce these laws, slowly taking away the rights and dehumanizing individuals or groups. This abortion was supposed to be rare. Now it's on demand. It was something that was to protect a lot, or something that um, was like a last moment decision to save someone, and now it's celebrated. Babies' screams and the torture in the very place where they only could be safe within their mothers. You move into the containment phase. You house women in murder health care or death care centers. And you use final solution, which is genocide. Today, genocide is normalized and the killing just continues. Now, while there's much speculation and debate if the final solution was the plan all along or is a natural progression of the ideology, in either case, the outcome is the same, genocide. The same could be said with Roe v. Wade. Did the framers intend on massive on-demand genocide or was a natural progression of an ideology that dehumanizes babies and gave their mothers supremacy? Was it to be a rare occurrence to protect life of the mother or did Roe v. Wade get hijacked by those in power that took advantage of the vague language in which it was written? Either way, the results are the same. Babies dead to the tune of 62 million and counting. If the Hyde Amendment is rescinded, then the taxes on the money we work for will be used to pay for abortion. That's like paying the salaries of those who provide gas for the gas chambers. That makes all of us accomplice, not only to murder, but to genocide of babies. Now, I suppose by now I've really upset a lot of people. I probably pissed off a lot of people, actually, comparing the ideology of the final solution of Nazi Germany to abortion. The reason many of you may be outraged is a matter of definition. That definition is the word life. If you believe the baby is a life in his mother's womb, then you have no problem with the comparison. If you believe the baby isn't a life until it's out of its mother's womb, then I have a question for you. Is it a baby when the doctor sees its head crowning and the mother's pushing? Of course, there are those who don't care. The baby has no rights, even when it's born. We just want to make them comfortable while they die. Why would they have the right to live? Doesn't that sound like something you would hear in reference to the Jews in Nazi Germany? Why would they have the right to live? As you can see, taking away rights is part of the dehumanization process. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theory, th theory guy. In fact, all these conspiracies out there on YouTube and all these platforms, they're not helping at all. Abortion is murder. And abortion isn't just murder, it's big business. It takes a human life that is priceless, made in the image of God, and puts a price on it for its death. So I have a question for you. You know, it's a what-if question. What if abortion is a test run for a wider scale of genocide? Sounds crazy, maybe not. 
We're living in the United States right now where words are being murdered on a daily basis. If the definition of life changed, resulting in continued genocide of babies, what other words will be murdered? The test that so far has been pretty successful, medical care field that takes an oath of no harm doesn't bat an eye in taking the life that is considered not alive because the definition of life has changed. This begs the question, if a baby's life is not safe, who of us is safe from this redefinition process? Who will be the next test subjects? You see, once that re redefinition process starts and murder begins, then the next group will be identified for termination. That's how this works. Pick a word, murder it, change the definition, get enough people to repeat it, and then you can do what you want to anyone if you're in the right group. Today, words are murdered on an ongoing basis and language becomes a weapon used by those who are the leads of this ideology. In Germany, school children became part of Hitler's youth camps. In order to create a nation of people who believe in the final solution, they have to be indoctrinated in the ideology. This means early on, teachers need to be indoctrinating K-12 that life isn't really life, and you need to be advocates for the protection of mothers from pregnancy. You hear that? You need to be an advocate for the protection of mothers from pregnancy. As one author said, pregnancy is the disease, abortion is the cure. She, she ought to thank God her mother didn't think that way. Still, not everyone out there will sign on to the redefinition of life and this ongoing genocide. So enter the cancel culture using intimidation. People in Germany at the time didn't support the gas chambers, but were afraid of their government. Fear is a powerful way to bring about genocide of people other than who you are. As long as they're the target and you're not, fear keeps you from looking the other way when the train car goes past you and their cries fall on scared ears. We see this happen in America today. People are afraid to say anything because they could be canceled. They could lose jobs, reputation. Companies could refuse to serve them. Teams let them go. Did you ever notice that the final word cancel sounds? A lot like death. In Nazi Germany, the Jews didn't start out in train cars, headed to gas chambers. That occurred slowly. Their rights were taken away until many were confined in like ghettos, centrally locating them, herding them together, making it easier to load them in the railway cars. These are people. These aren't animals. The other thing I notice is how words in the context of groups make it easier to round up people. Individuals not defined by groups, it makes it harder to stereotype. Those in charge of the language must ensure there's as little individuality rights as possible, and groups are the definition. Then this makes turning one group against each other not so difficult. The new strategy is to take the less dominant group of people and turn them against the majority. Before in America, you had a majority that went against the minority. But that majority after the Civil War eventually came alongside the minorities and some significant change happened slowly. People died in the Civil War to try to end slavery to, to, because they saw the evils of it. Do we have a long way to go in our country? Sure. What country doesn't? 
but it doesn't discount the progress that's been made. But slowly now that narrative has switched. Using the same tactics of the majority, those minority groups now use it to justify the same way the majority used to. This us against them pitted one group against each other used to be by skin color, but lately it's who controls the narrative. And just a simple disagreement may be enough. For example, segregation is deemed wrong, but if some minorities have segregated colleges and other institutions, that's encouraged. You see, as a culture becomes closer to genocide, supremacy grows, whether that's in the majority of the population or whether that's in the minority of the population. When you see supremacy, you genocide is not that far behind. In Nazi Germany, white supremacists. In other countries, there's black supremacists in, or Chinese supremacists. In each culture, there are their supremacists. The KKK may have started out with white robes, but the ideology of the KKK does not have a color exclusion. The KKK ideology translates through any supremacy. That could be the supremacy of Nazi Germany. That could be the supremacy of moms over their children. That could be the supremacy of one um, culture over another culture, or, or one race over another race, or one ideology over another ideology. Supremacy is deadly. And if you believe that you're better than someone else, you really need to take a look at that. Because those are so slow growing seeds that lead to genocide. To be honest with you, as I write this podcast, I've been feeling like maybe the Jewish people initially felt in the 30s. The murdering of language is all around me. It's like there's not a word safe anymore. And I'm not fitting into the definitions anymore. I wonder how long until laws are passed or my job's in jeopardy. If I speak the truth, I wonder when corporations will turn on me because I'm not as woke as they pretend to be. Already I feel the pressure on this podcast as numbers have significantly decreased. I believe because of social media police as the cause. I see a country changing right before my eyes, where I may not be welcomed, and you may not be welcomed either. How soon until someone finds something on you or me and takes away our right to communicate that they're offended with? How long until the right of life only belongs to a select few, and to disagree with them means death? You think that's too far off? 90,000 Christians die a year martyred for their faith. In China, we have the Muslim population in their concentration camps. North Korea has their concentration camps. I watch every sphere of influence in America being influenced and cowering in fear. We're already marked on social media. How long does it take to translate that to other areas of our life? And if you dare to say anything, that's what the Germans felt when they were trying to help the Jews. When they were trying to, to, they were considered expendable, right? If you were a German and you tried to help a Jew, you now were the enemy. What if genocide happens if you just say the wrong word? How long before you're on the list of those whose rights will be taken away? Yet what's the price you pay for your survival? 
how did those back in Germany during Nazi time live with themselves after the trains went by? The, the way things are going, compromise will not be enough. That was one of the mistakes some people made in Nazi Germany. We can compromise with Hitler. That was some of the mistakes some of the countries made. And then he invaded them. Yet, yeah, this is life in America these days. You need to stand. The only way to survive a culture of genocide is to call it out and find more that have the courage to do so. Losing your rights, being redefined, living in fear is how you find yourself on the train car. And you become the problem and the target of the final solution. Yet there's still hope. As long as you're breathing, there's hope. As long as you don't surrender to the woke mob, there's another day. As long as you don't accept their murder of language, their definition, there's a hope. Better to die free than live woke. There's a revolution. We don't stand. If we don't stand, there's genocide. As with all my podcasts, I make it no secret, guys, that I'm a Christ follower. I believe the only true hope we have from not being conformed from the outside is to be transformed from the inside. You see, the world wants to transform you from the outside by force. God gives you a grace, of, the gift of grace and forgiveness to transform you from the inside out. You see, at the cross of Christ, you find forgiveness. Even if you murdered your baby, even if you were part of the final solution, guys, even if you were the one who hit the switch for the gas to kill the Jewish people in the concentration camp. No matter what your sin, no matter what you've done, if you're the politician that signed off on Roe v. Wade, if you are an abortion doctor, if you just ended someone's career because they didn't think like you did, there's still forgiveness for you. See, our sin is not greater than God's grace and love, guys. See, God has a final solution. You see what man's final solution is? It's genocide. And if you follow man's final solution, we eventually just kill each other off. We just cancel each other because that's what's going to happen. You keep canceling somebody, then they cancel you and you cancel them and pretty soon there's no one left to cancel. This cancel culture, this woke religion, this ideology of genocide will not ultimately triumph. If you pray right now, God will transform your life and you'll be redeemed by God. So if you join me in this prayer, guys, I, I, I just, I pray that you'll pray this prayer. I pray that you'll go before the Lord. In scripture said, even though your sins are as red as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow, says the Lord. See, he died for you. He took all the holocausts, all the genocide, every horrible thing that mankind could ever do to itself. He took on the cross and he died. He took on all of it. He took Hitler's sins. He took the SS's sins. He took the abortion doctor's sins. He took all of our sins on that cross with him. 
And he died so that you, so you could be forgiven, so your sins would not define you. See, Jesus Christ isn't woke. Jesus Christ is not cancel culture. Jesus Christ is not promoting supremacy of one group over another. Jesus Christ is an equal opportunity loving God who says to you, you have a choice. Your final solution or mine? God's final solution is your redemption. And again, I just really want to speak to that woman who, or, or the couple, because it's just not a woman, it's the couple making the decision, whether the woman felt forced to or the couple decided to do it together. But there, that crib's empty. And you're looking at that crib. Or you're looking at that empty room. And there's no child there. I want to speak to you. God loves you. This podcast is not about condemning you. This podcast is about loving you. This podcast is so you'll know the love of God for you. You are beautiful, made in the image of God. You are precious and priceless. But you have a disease, and that disease is sin. And God wants to save us from ourselves. So, if you pray and just ask Jesus to forgive you, he will. I remember a movie I watched called The Insanity of God. And in the movie, there was a guy who killed Christians. And after killing so many Christians, he looked at his hands, and all he could see was blood. And so he washed them as much as he could. He couldn't get the blood off his hands. Then the Lord told a Christian to go share Christ with him, to go witness to him. And he did. And the man this time could have killed him. But the man told him, the blood of Jesus can wash him clean. And the man's response was he gave his life to Jesus. And the next day, you know what happened? He never saw the blood on his hands again. Some of you have blood on your hands. But the blood of Jesus can wash it off your hands. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask now for those who don't know you right now that they would turn to you. They would give their life to you. And they would experience your forgiveness, your love, your Holy Spirit living inside them. And you would teach them how to love and be part of your final solution, which is to love people into the kingdom of God, not load them in train cars to gas chambers. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for not giving up on us. Lord, thank you that our past doesn't define us. Your grace, your love, and mercy do. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, guys, I want to take a few minutes as I conclude episode 7 to basically share with you some of the inspiration for the podcast. Although I didn't quote anyone specifically, I want to thank Eric Medendez for the inspiration that he brought to the idea for this episode. I so enjoyed and was inspired by your book, Bonhoeffer. 
I'd like to thank as well the masterful work of Lawrence Reese from his book The Holocaust, which is just an epic work. I finally think online references in the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum and the Holocaust Encyclopedia. I recognize that none of these references contrasts abortion with the Holocaust, yet their material was invaluable to me in understanding more of how genocides happen and the courage it takes to stand against it. So I want to close with you guys with a song I wrote um, last year, or maybe it was two years ago. We were putting roses on the fence of Planned Parenthood to represent the babies that were killed. And I passed out this song. I'm going to sing it for you. My, I, my voice isn't really very good at all today, but I want you to hear the words, and I pray that it, it speaks to your heart. I pray that you do what the title says. You choose life. They said it would be easy in the blink of an eye. Just close your eyes. The bump that you're feeling will be in the review of your life. Just close your eyes. It happens every day. That is what they say. But they didn't tell her of the longing to hear her child say, Mommy, I love you. Will you love me? Come on, let's go out and play. But her silent baby scream haunts her days and dreams. They said it would be loving to take this burden away. Just close your heart. Your future's right before you. Don't you throw your life away. Just close your heart. It happens every day. That is what they say. But they didn't tell him of the longing to hear his child say, Daddy, I love you. Will you love me? Come on, let's go out and play. But the baby's silent heart tears his world apart. Millions of babies in heaven are praying for us tonight. Open your eyes. Jesus is calling. Don't choose death, choose life. Open your heart. Don't throw his life away. That is what he said. No more sorrow. No more shame. No more judgment. No more blame. No more wounded hearts. No more wounded souls. The blood of Jesus makes you whole. The blood of Jesus makes you whole. No more silence, 
No more ignoring babies' cries. No more killing children. It's time. It's time for America to choose life. It's time. It's time for the world to choose life.